We're going to read from God's Word this morning, picking up where we uh, finished off last Sunday. We were looking at Galatians 5, uh, and we're going to continue looking at Galatians 5 this morning. And we're going to read from verse 16 uh, down to verse uh, 26 as we continue to think about uh, the Holy Spirit and who He is uh, and what it means to be a church that is alive in Him. And we're thinking this morning about the fruit of uh, the Spirit. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to 26, and that's on page 975, or there are the of the Pew Bibles, uh, and it will also be on the screens before you as well. So let's read God's Word together. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. And may God bless us the reading of his word this morning. Last Sunday, we thought about the importance of it walking in the Spirit. And we saw that there this is where we are called to live as followers of Jesus. We're called to live um, in the Spirit. And we thought about how where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That the enemy of freedom, Paul tells us, is legalism. The enemy of freedom, Paul tells us, is that kind of religious heart. That a religious heart suffocates the freedom in Christ that Jesus came to give us. It's, is it, it's not a surprise that often we see that the biggest enemies of Jesus in Jesus' day in the Gospels were who? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, people who knew the, the, the Bible like the back of their hand, but they were so opposed to who Jesus came to be. This religious heart suffocates the freedom that Jesus longs to give. And what we read in the Bible is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's not just the enemy of freedom, but it's actually the enemy of the Spirit. That's what we see in God's Word here. And what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus never wanted religion. If he did, his best mates would have been the Pharisees. What Jesus wanted was relationship. That's who he came to be, was someone to be known Someone to be loved. Someone to die on the cross for his people. So that we could commune with God once again. Without that barrier of sin. A religious heart cares about how things are done. And places it 
over the why they are done and the who they are done for. Paul is saying to the church in Galatia, guard yourself against legalism. Guard yourself against that religious heart that opposes freedom and opposes the spirit. A life that is free in Christ is a life that is lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've spoken over the last couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit and about the power he has. And we're going to go deeper into that over the next few months uh, in this year as well, God willing. And I shared my experience uh, over the last few weeks about the, the time where I encountered the Holy Spirit in a really powerful way and um, how it was life-changing and it transformed me and it set my life on a course that it was never going on. It was real. It was powerful and it really did transform me. But what we see this morning is that experiences, that manifestations of the Spirit, isn't the sign of the Spirit in the life of the believer. That's not where Paul lands. He lands somewhere very different. And I think that's really important for us to know. So let's look at what Paul says here about being a church that is alive and who walks in the Spirit. Paul in verses 16 to 18 has been speaking about how as followers of Jesus, we are to pursue a life of holiness that is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit rather than one who looks to go and gratify the, the desires and passions of the flesh by partaking in the customs and the evil practices, the sinful things of this world. That actually, if we're a follower of Jesus, our, our, our pursuit has to be the things of God and the kingdom of God. And actually, we can't be chasing after the world anymore. That's what Paul is saying here. We mentioned last week that freedom isn't at the cost of holiness. Jesus has come to set us free, but often what that means for many people is that they see grace as something that is cheap. That actually, I can, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want. That's not true. And if that's how you live, then you've not understood what grace is. You've not understood the call in the gospel. It doesn't come at the cost of holiness. It doesn't mean just live how you want to, but freedom in Christ means surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. One of the things I find most fascinating when people start to come around church and where the gospel's at work and the spirit's at work in people is that many people are open to asking Jesus to be their Lord. To, for Jesus, sorry, to be their savior, for Jesus to forgive them for all the wrong things that they've done. But actually what can often be a stumbling block for people is the, the next part of that. It's for Jesus to be our Lord, for bending the knee before him. Because what that means is actually I'm no longer living life how I want to live anymore. I'm living life how Jesus calls me to live life. I'm not in control anymore. He's the one who tells me how to live. And that is a costly, costly thing. I've said before that salvation is a free gift that will cost you everything. Let me pick up in verse 19. And in verse 19, Paul gives examples of what he means by the works of the flesh. 
And you have to see the contrast that he is making here in his argument. There's no gray area. There's the spirit and there's the flesh. There's godly things and there's worldly things. And what Paul is saying here is that the freedom you have in Christ doesn't mean how you can just live however you want. He goes on and he lists these works of the flesh. Now, why these works? Why do we have the ones that we have in verse 19 down to verse 21? We have to remember that Paul is writing to a particular church. He's writing into a context. He's writing to a real-life people in the church in Galatia. And what Paul is doing is he is picking up on things that are present in the church in Galatia. Now that doesn't mean that it was just wrong for them. They're still wrong. But that's why we have these particular ones. Because these are the practices that Paul was seeing present within the church in Galatia. There was sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and so on. So Paul is, a, Paul is you know, he's no um, missing and uh, hitting the wall or what that's saying. You know what I mean? He is hitting him right between the eyes. He is going for it. And it made me think, I wonder how we would feel if the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church in Sandy Hills. What would be the works of the flesh that Paul would be listing in our letter? quite a thought. It's quite a thought. Imagine if it was our washing that was hung out to dry for the whole church to be able to read and see. I wonder what the apostle would write about us. But in the church in Galatia, what he's seeing is their sexual immorality, there's impurity, and there's sensuality or debauchery. And these first three, they're actually, it's one list, but you can break them down into different categories. And the first three that he lists are all to do with sexual relations. He is seeing that there is no regard for the call that God has placed on their life as a follower of Jesus when it comes in, in relation to their sexual practices. They are doing whatever they want. There is sexual immorality, there's impurity, and there's debauchery taking place. God wants to shape every area of our lives. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that includes your sex life as well. Now, there's something we do not speak about in church. Some of us are going, oh man, I cannot believe he has even said that three-letter word. I have never heard a minister say that word, and I hope he never says it again. But it is an area that if we're honest, we have handed over to the enemy. We don't speak about it. We're scared of it. We're embarrassed about it. And what happens is we, are, we have generations who are being raised up who know nothing about the gospel call in their life when it comes to sex. Our young people are taught about it through teachers in school, through our government, through music videos, through movies, 
through pornography on the internet. And we as a church, we're so embarrassed that we can't even speak about it. It has to change. Because there are generations out there who are being led astray and who have a warped understanding of what sex is and what it means and how it should be conducted. Sex is meant, the Bible tells us, it tells us a great deal about the area of sex. It tells us it should be enjoyed within a marriage between one man and one woman. It is an amazing gift that God gives and it should be kept within the gift of marriage between one man and one woman. And even further, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you're single, the Bible tells you that actually you shouldn't be going after anybody, but it also tells you that actually you shouldn't be unequally yoked. That the call for you as a follower of Jesus is to, is to find someone who also loves Jesus. And I know that this is countercultural, and you might think I'm crazy, but this is Paul's very point. That it sounds, how am I meant to live like, like, like this in this fallen world? That's the very point Paul's making. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he lists two sins to do with idols, idolatry and sorcery, or uh, witchcraft is another way of understanding that. And really what he's meaning is that anything that rivals the, exclusive, uh, the exclusiveness of the lordship of Christ in your life, there should be Jesus and Jesus alone. Anything that contends for the place of Jesus in your life is an idol and shouldn't be there. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be opening up ourselves to other ways and other practices in this world. The Bible is very clear about it. As Christians, you shouldn't be anywhere near things of sorcery like psychic nights or tarot cards or healing stones or Buddha statues or whatever it is. You know yourself, when I've mentioned these things, if there's things in your life that are wrong, you know it. The Lord will point it out to you. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Things like that are not compatible with the gospel of Jesus. Then Paul then lists um, other sins of animosity, enmity or hatred, strife and dis or discord, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dis uh, dissensions or disagreements, divisions and envy. And in these eight sins, Paul mentions what we see here, a category that refers to the breakdown of relationship with, within the body of Christ. One of the things that breaks my heart, but breaks the Lord's heart even more, is when he sees dissent being stirred up within the brethren, within church family. Where brothers and sisters in Christ are, are bickering and gossiping about each other behind each other's backs. It's not honor and it's not biblical. And actually it's one of the sins of the flesh that we should be crucifying at the cross. See your practices, if they're done in the shadows of the church, they will never glorify Jesus Christ. And I pray that the Lord would guard our hearts and our tongues and keep these sins from us in this place. And then we have a fourth category that Paul lists is consisting of drunkenness and or orgies. And again, another word you probably never thought you'd hear in a church. 
And actually, it's really fascinating because this word um, that we have here for, for orgies is used um, at, at three other times within the New Testament. And every time it's used, it's used in connection with drunkenness. And what we have here is the sin of intemperance, not being able to control ourselves. And again, I think it's a really fascinating one where what Paul was probably seeing in his day was that people were getting so intoxicated by alcohol and getting drunk and not being able to control themselves that actually was leading them to infidelity, was leading them into other sexual practices that weren't biblical and weren't glorifying to God. And again, is that not what we see in our own society and our own culture is the increase in the, the taking of substances that actually leads to the further breakdown of godly marriages, the importance of, of holiness, not being able to control ourselves. And what we see from these lists, this list um, that Paul has here the, of the sins of the flesh are we could kind of talk about the two things that we mentioned last week, that freedom in Christ doesn't come at the cost of holiness and it doesn't come at the cost of unity. And you could break this list down if you really wanted to simplify it into these two ways. That actually gratifying the sins of the flesh comes at the cost of holiness and comes at the cost of unity. God's Spirit doesn't do that. A place where God's Spirit is present is a place where holiness is loved and unity is fought for. Then we have in verse 21, I, I, want, us, I want us just to see how important and how serious this is. At the end of the list that Paul gives about this, the sins of the flesh, he says, and things like these I warn you. So it's not an exclusive list. Anything that gratifies the, 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 the sins and the desires of our flesh and goes against the Lord's word, I warn you against them, Paul is saying, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a serious, serious consequence. Those who chase after the desires of their flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul, he offers, actually, this is who you should be. Don't be like that. Don't gratify the sins of your flesh. But actually, if you walk by the Spirit, if you're a lover of Jesus, if you've been freed by Christ, I'm going to give you another list that should be present in your life. And he offers to us the fruit of the Spirit. And like Becca said this morning, it isn't fruits. We get it mixed up when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, which are plural. Here we have the fruit of the Spirit, singular. That each one of these should be present in your life 
if you're a follower of Jesus. You cannot choose what fruit you want to display. Do you know what? I'm good at the loving bit and I'm pretty kind, but see, see that self-control stuff? I can't do that, so that's not for me. That's not how this works. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that describe Sandy Hills Parish Church? Because it should. Does that describe your life as a follower of Jesus? Because it should. Now what's important again is that we don't have to try and conjure these things up by ourselves. It is the fruit that comes from the presence and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. This list is the fruit that is present in a spirit-controlled and spirit-filled life. I mentioned last week about, uh, the last few weeks about experiences that I'd had um, when I encountered the Holy Spirit. But what happened when those experiences stopped? What happened when that first time in the next worship session when I didn't have that same encounter? What happened then? I was like, have I done something wrong? Have I not sung well enough this morning? Did I not pray well enough? Have I got the wrong socks on? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something that I have done wrong that's now leaving me not experiencing the Holy Spirit like I did that previous week? And if anything, those Holy Spirit encounters became an idol in my life because I began to chase after them and I wanted them. I wanted to feel that thing again, that feeling of peace that I had. I wanted to experience an even greater outpouring, a greater uh, infilling, being slain in the Spirit again, but not in a healthy way because I actually pushed Jesus to the side and I began chasing after manifestations and experiences. If anything, they became like an idol in my life. And that's not saying that the encounter that I had was wrong, but what it is highlighting was immaturity on my part. I began to think, is there something wrong with me? But when we look at this passage, Paul doesn't say that the fruit of the Spirit is tongues or being slain in the Spirit. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. These are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the markers that we should be looking for in followers of Jesus. These should be present in each one of us if we're a follower of Jesus. This is what should be getting produced in every follower of Jesus. And actually, this is how we identify those who are filled with the Spirit. Those who have love and joy and peace. But do you know what the thing is, friends, is they're not a snazzy. They wouldn't sell as much books as my encounter that I had in the Cala Hotel when I was about 15 years old. If I was to say that previous week, oh, do you know what? I just loved even more. I was more patient. 
It doesn't sound as cool. But actually, Paul says that if you walk in the Spirit and are keeping in step and live in the Spirit, this is what the Spirit produces in you. This is how you see a Spirit-filled life. Those who love more. Those who are more patient. And I purposely preached it that way around, though, and wanted to speak about my encounter first because I wanted to show you it's real. It's true. These things happen. And praise the Lord, they do. And Lord, we want to see more of you at work in this place. But if you've never experienced that, and maybe you, ne- you never will, that doesn't mean you're lacking anything. Because the marker of the Spirit in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. I said how little we hear about the Holy Spirit and His power in the Church of Scotland. And that is true, but I have also been around a lot of charismatic and Pentecostal churches, and I can never remember hearing a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because it isn't snazzy. It doesn't sell books. Often we place giftings over character. We think, oh, that person is so gifted, they're amazing, they're charismatic, they're, they can do all these things, but they've got this wee questionable question mark over their character, but you know what? We'll just forgive them for that because they're amazing. They can hold people's attention. They can sing amazing. They can do this and they can do that. Their giftings are great. And then what ends up happening is their character ends up making them trip up. Paul makes the same sort of point in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or the tongues of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Friends, don't be a noisy gong. I've met too many of them in my life. They can hold this uh, attention at this thing, and they can do this, and they're gifted, and they're amazing, and blah, 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 blah. But they are the most unloving, ungracious person I've ever met. The fruit of the Spirit is not the gift of tongues. It is love, joy, peace, patience. That is how we know that we're filled with the Spirit. That is the markers and the fruit that is produced in the followers of Jesus. That's why as a church, we will desire the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, pour them out upon us. Pour out your gifts upon us. But first, produce your fruit so that we can carry them in the way you want us to. And maybe that's the big problem in the church, is that we've allowed people who have giftings into places they shouldn't be when their character doesn't match their gifting. They do not have the fruit of the Spirit present. And what happens is that the fruit of the Spirit that is produced from within us to out, friends, it's like it produces a godly canvas for the gifts of God to be carried in the body of Christ. These are the outcome. These are the indication. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the markers that should be in your life if the Spirit lives and dwells within you. That is what we should be seeing. And like I said, when these things are present in the body of Christ, there are no noisy gongs. There are no clanging cymbals. And God pours out his gifts upon us. And it's like a godly canvas 
for us to carry the gifts of the Spirit to be used in power in this place. Just as we look to close this morning, One of the biggest, I mentioned last week about the transformation in my life from, it was like I went from singing about God to singing to him. And that was true, and that that's honestly was the case. But one of the biggest transformations in my life was anger disappeared. Anger left. Fits of rage. That was me. My friends used to call me Mr. T. That was my nickname. And it wasn't because I was strong or wore big chains. It was because I had a temper. Mr. Temper, Mr. T. Got chucked out of umpteen youth clubs for losing my temper. Just so angry, so bitter. I had such a broken heart. And that broken heart, what I did by trying to mend it was protect it by just hardening it. And, and anger was something that was so real. I was so bitter and I was so angry and I hated. I was negative. And in ways, a lot of it came because of the upbringing I had and the heartbreak that I had to go through. But God, but God by His Holy Spirit, through the fruit of the Spirit, produced love. It has been one of the biggest transformations in my life. The Cala Hotel stuff, that would sell books. It would love the flashy lights and the disco balls and stuff. But the ongoing transformation in my life has been the disappearance of anger and the increase in love. If we have not love, we are clanging cymbals and noisy gongs. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. My prayer is that in Sandy Hills Parish Church, that we come alive in the power of the Holy Spirit. But before we see any gifts of the Spirit present, may God create a canvas by the fruit of His Spirit that gives us the godly character to carry them, where He is glorified, He is honored, and He is praised. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the transformation that you alone can bring. We thank you for your gifts, which are real and awesome and powerful. We thank you for the encounters and manifestations that you give. We thank you, Lord, for them. And we pray, Lord, for more of them. Lord, I thank you that they're not the markers of a spirit-filled life that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and so on. Lord, may you produce that fruit in this place.
And start with me, I pray. Cause me to be more patient. Cause me to have more self-control. Lord, cause me to be more kind. Produce that within me. And Lord, create a canvas here. Create a character here, Lord, which is godly and honoring to you and which will carry the gifts that you have given us to be used for your, your glory, your honor, and your praise. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.